This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 241, Your Last Tax Day. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your host, certified financial planner Mark Willis, invites you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode, and happy tax season. I guess I wonder, um, is it really happy? I mean, even if you're not listening to this right when it drops, uh, I'd like to just suggest there are ways to make your tax season happy. And hey, just before we jump into all the content I want to cover today, just a reminder, I won't be giving any, of course, individual tax advice. Can't do that on a podcast anyway, but I'm not a CPA. I'm a certified financial planner, not a CPA, so I won't be giving you tax advice today. So take what you hear today and bring it to your accountant. Okay, with that out of the way, let's jump right on in. So if you're listening to this on any other day besides the day this episode drops, this is probably a reminder to you, but you know, likely not a surprise to you that yes, Americans do pay taxes. It's true. So this is the infamous tax season where we pay a tax on our income. But that is not the only way uh, citizens give money to our government. And it's not the only tax system in the country. Some people are surprised to learn that there are actually multiple different tax systems. Think of these tax systems almost like a seven-layer dip. And Uncle Sam loves to plunge his nachos all the way down to the bottom layer. We have an income tax, it's true. And statistics show that over 70% of U.S. citizens don't pay taxes on their income. You are covering the financial obligations uh, for seven out of 10 people you walk by today. This can be anywhere from 10% tax on your income, all the way up to 37% tax on the federal level. Most people might be surprised to hear that we did not even have an income tax before 1913. So if you made $100,000 at your day job, you got to keep $100,000, all of it. Isn't that incredible to even imagine that? So in addition to the income tax system, there's also a payroll tax system. Now, this essentially is a, I call it a penalty for being an employee. Yes, you heard that right. A payroll tax is a penalty for being an employee. Uh, this has the specific purpose of covering certain programs like Social Security, medical insurance, Uh, for our country, for Medicare and so forth. This is typically below and rarely exceeds 15% of your wages. Uh, The next tax system in our seven-layer dip is the capital gains tax, uh, typically a tax you pay on profits from your investments. This would be like stocks, bonds, real estate, et cetera. And there's a short-term and a long-term capital gains tax. The government wants you to think long-range, and they're willing to give you a discount on your taxes if you hold that investment for over one year. Uh, We also have a sales tax and a property tax system, which I'm not going to spend much time on here since that's outside the scope of our conversation today. What I want to focus the majority of our episode on today is the estate tax and the inheritance tax systems, as well as something known as the gift tax. Yes, you heard that right, a gift tax. Most people don't realize that even after you pay taxes your entire life, the government views you're leaving anything to your children or charities as a privilege not a right or a eventuality, but a privilege. So that they're now able then to tax that privilege of leaving money to somebody else. Now, 
for me, I've never really thought of dying as a privilege <laughs> and I've never really thought about dying as an optional, you know, possibility. It's more of a eventuality. I haven't seen too many hearses with a U-Haul behind it. So it seems pretty likely to me and, and pretty eventual for me that we'll all be forced to pay an estate tax if we meet the, the government's guidelines. Even if you don't want to, you can't exactly avoid uh, the undertaker, so to speak. Uh, so estate taxes are covered by the estate itself, meaning the bucket of money and all the stuff, the real estate, whatever that you left behind, again, you can't take it all with you. Uh, so the estate tax is usually covered by the estate itself before its assets even go to your heirs. So before your kids get it, um, they're going to have to see Uncle Sam take his. He's the first in line for that estate uh, when you pass away. Next up are inheritance taxes. These are taxes that are left, whatever's left for the heirs, uh, they'll have to settle on the inheritance receipt. That's a tax on the inheritance. Now to you, if that sounds like they're taxing the same thing twice, you're starting to understand this multiple seven layer nacho dip I'm describing here. You got the estate tax, which is paid for by your estate. And then whoever gets your estate pays an inheritance tax, but we're not even done yet. Now, if you think you can avoid this racket by giving away everything while you're still alive, then the government's ready to catch you with the gift tax. If you're a donor of a gift, you'll have to report that gift and settle your gift tax on this side of the grass before you pass away. Typically, recipients of gifts don't have to pay taxes in the United States anyway, and federal gift taxes can be quite high. So again, the receiver of the gift does not pay any gift tax the donor or the giver uh, does pay that gift tax. And that gift tax can be quite high, anywhere from 18% to normally it's a 40% is the rate at which the gift is taxed upon. Uh, but there are some gift tax exemptions that can make giving away some of your assets worth considering. Let's get into it. For example, you can give away an unlimited amount tax-free to your spouse if your spouse is a United States citizen or for medical purposes to an institution, or if you give it to a charitable or political organization too, you can give that all away tax-free. There's also an annual gift tax exclusion, meaning you can give to every person who's not your spouse up to a certain limit, dollar amount limit each year. Say, for example, that you wanted to give away a large chunk of money, but you did not want to be pinned down with that burdensome gift tax. How could you do it? So for example, let's say you and your spouse want to give a large amount of money away to your three children. If you gave that large chunk of money to them right away, you'd be hit with mega taxes just to pass on your legacy while you're still alive. But if you spread that money out over a few years, let's say you can avoid all the gift tax and the estate would also not be taxed when you pass away. The annual gift tax exclusion is the limit. That's sort of the annual bucket you can hand out to anybody you want while you're still alive. And the bucket size in this year, currently 2022, the most you can gift to another person or entity is $16,000 per person per donor. Okay, $16,000 per recipient per donor. That means that you and your spouse collectively can give each of your children $32,000 a year per child. That's $96,000 a year for your three children and still not be taxed at the gift tax rate, not a penny of gift taxes due to give that money away. And you have this lifetime exclusion amount as well. That's a lifetime exclusion amount of over $12 million per person. So that means over 24 million could be left over the course of your lifetime with no taxes due. 
So it should be clear by now that the goal of the IRS is to get your life's income, investments, and your legacy and, and inheritance into that taxable seven-layer dip so that they can consume it for their own benefit. Now, whether you agree with that tax system or not, I can assure you that you personally didn't vote for any of this. You know, we were not even alive in 1913 when they Congress and voted to enact the income tax. But try to repeal it. Try to repeal the income tax and just see what happens. The same goes with the gift, estate, and inheritance taxes out there. This seven-layer dip has just been layered on top of us over the years, and we can either accept it and just submit to it, or we can reach for another goal. The IRS's ultimate goal, whether you're inheriting money that's going into a taxable bucket like a savings account or money market account, or whether you're inheriting money from a tax-deferred bucket like an IRA or 401k, or whether you're inheriting money from life insurance or some other tax-free vehicle like a Roth IRA or a Roth conversion or a Roth 401k, the goal of the IRS is to get all of that money into a taxable bucket within 10 years. So I want you to imagine sort of three buckets. You got uh, taxable, tax-deferred, and tax-free. The IRS wants you to move as much as possible over 10 years to that bucket that's labeled taxable uh, within a 10-year period. So they move your money insidiously from tax-free or tax-deferred into that taxable bucket. Now, when you make money, that money goes into a checking account, savings account, CD, money market account, and that account is a taxable account. That's a taxable bucket. And that savings or checking account Hard to imagine, but they do earn some interest. And that interest is taxable every single year. And that money that's in your savings or checking is eventually put back into circulation at the grocery store or at the electronic store or the car dealer, uh, which allows the government to collect sales tax. And of course, everything else. So how many times can you say taxable? So that's the taxable scenario, but let's go on to other options. When you put money into an investment, stocks, let's say into a brokerage account, they know they've got you. Because eventually, due to the capital gains tax system, you're going to get taxed on that money. And now they're even talking about eliminating the stepped-up basis rule in this or some future upcoming tax reform. And it's been bandied about so many times in Congress that it's essentially inevitable at this point that one of these days they're going to pass the law. And of course, anytime you sell your stock or real estate, it goes right back into your taxable bucket. Again, when you sell your stock, that money has to go somewhere and generally speaking, it goes into a taxable bucket. Why? So they can tax you again and again and again. When it's in a savings account, a checking account, a money market account, a CD, those buckets are being taxed every single year, whether you use the money or not. In fact, if you don't use the money, they'll tax you on the interest you earn. If you do use the money, it's spent. And therefore, there's sales tax or other expenses, excise taxes, tariff taxes, whatever. And if you inherit an IRA or 401k, once again, they're going to force you to take that money out over a 10-year window. This is part of the SECURE Act that was passed uh, in 2019. The IRA or 401k that you inherit must be fully distributed over a 10-year period. If you're not a person's spouse, that money has to come out of the tax-deferred bucket and must move into a taxable bucket. So you've got to realize those taxes and get it back into the taxable circulation, back into the economy. So even if you inherit the tax-free darling of the tax code, the Roth IRA, or you leave one of those to your children, you or your children will be forced to take money out of the Roth IRA over a 10-year window. Now, again, why? It's tax-free to pull the money out. 
So why does the government require a 10-year distribution of Roth IRAs? It comes out tax-free, right? So what's the point? But keep going. Keep thinking on this. Where does the money go as soon as it leaves the Roth IRA? That's right. It's either saved or spent. If it's spent, they collect sales taxes. If you save the money, if you move that money out of the Roth IRA and into a money market account or a checking account or savings account, it goes into a taxable bucket where the government can now tax you each and every year for the rest of your life. They want that money out of your hands and into theirs. In fact, spell the word theirs, T-H-E-I-R-S. That's right, the IRS. You see why they call it the IRS. It's all theirs. They want to get those tax-deferred or tax-free dollars back into the taxable system so they can tax it over and over again for future generations. If the IRS's goal is to get it out of tax-free and tax-deferred and into taxable buckets, your goal should be to move it back to tax-free. Now, while there are some strategies to move it back to tax-free, such as contributing to your Roth IRA or your Roth 401k, each of these have significant limits. For example, if you were receiving a significant inheritance, you'd only be able to put a nominal amount into a Roth IRA, 6,000 bucks a year. And even a Roth 401k forces you to defer your salary. And again, you're only able to put in $26,000 a year. Now, while that's nice and it might be enough for a lot of people, it might not solve your inheritance problem. And besides that, if you're deferring so much of your salary into a Roth 401k, I'm just curious, do you still plan to eat this year? <laughs> I mean, those groceries won't pay for themselves if you're significantly reducing your salary like that. So what are some other options? Well, a bank on yourself type whole life policy has something that other strategies do not have. And that is you can put nearly unlimited amounts of money into your bank on yourself design policy. You don't have the income limitations. You don't have the contribution limits like you do with a Roth IRA. You can put an unlimited amount of money into a policy. The only limitation is your death benefit that you can be approved for, which, you know, depending on various factors might be several million dollars. We helped somebody earlier last week get approved for a policy with over $20 million death benefit. And that's what you can do if you're already receiving your inheritance. Now, just a quick story here, just to give you some ideas here. My mom passed away five years ago in January. She left my brother and I several life insurance policies. And these were all received by my brother and I, totally income tax-free. What a gift. She put in pennies and we got dollars. And the IRS got nothing out of that transaction. Now, she paid those premiums with after-tax dollars, so the IRS was still happy back when she was funding the policies. But when we received the windfall, it was all income tax-free. She put in pennies, we got out dollars. In fact, my brother and I calculated the gift that my mom left us, and it was almost a thousand times what she contributed to her policies. A thousand times. Now, could a Roth IRA do anything close to that? No, of course, even with her wonderful gift, my brother and I faced a choice where would that money now go? If we put that money into a savings account or CD or money market account, the IRS would start licking their chops, knowing that we would pay taxes on any interest earned, or more likely, we would spend that money, put it back into circulation and pay sales tax on all the stuff we bought with our inheritance money. I did not want to do either with my mom's final gift. I mean, quite honestly, I don't know about you guys, but if you've lost a parent, and I hope you have not, I don't care how old or young you are. It's never, you're never too old to leave, lose a parent. 
but I didn't want to lose the last gift my mom ever gave us. I wanted to make sure that that money was there forever and be passed on even to the future. So she didn't leave that money to my brother and I, so the IRS could spend it. So instead, rather than putting it into a checking or savings or money market account, instead we put that gift from my mom into several life insurance policies. We put in many times more than we could into a Roth IRA or Roth 401k. Since then, that money's never been taxed in any of the last five years since my mom has passed away, and it continues to remain tax-free to this day. That is an awesome story. I'm so proud of the good work my brother did and, and the work he and I did together to save and protect that money from onerous taxation. Now, what if you're blessed to still have your parents still with you, still alive? Are there any strategies you could discuss with them now that will ultimately help them and the whole family? Yes, there are. Of course, you'll need to bring this up in a you know tactful way. But if they're aging with dignity and they're not necessarily you know high rollers, high income earners, in other words, if they're in, let's say, a middle tax bracket of 12 to 20 to 22 or even 24%, and they intend to leave some of their money for you in a 401k or IRA, please realize that when they leave that final gift to you, that's going to be going from tax deferred into taxable accounts every year. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. And very likely, you'll be earning your income at, at your highest point, right? When, when your parents pass, you're very likely in your 50s or so most of the time. And very likely that's the peak of your earning potential. And so it's pretty probable then that you'll be taxed at the highest possible rate when you receive that gift from mom and dad. So my question is, did your parents work all of those years and did they defer their salary into a 401k for all of those years just so you could leave it to the IRS? Does that seem right? Is there someone at the IRS that they're so madly in love with that they would like to leave half of their life savings to them? rather than to you, their children? Of course not. Rather than your parents leave you this ticking tax time bomb, maybe they could do something else with this cash. Maybe they do some of the converting of their taxable IRA or 401k while they're still on this side of heaven. And they're living in a much lower tax bracket than you might be at that point. Again, if they're already retired and they don't need the cash. And better to do it while they're both still alive since when one parent dies, the surviving spouse will see their income tax brackets typically double. So it makes all the sense in the world to have your living parent pass on and transfer the tax deferred dollars into tax free while they're still alive. Now, that does not mean they have to give it all to you while they're still alive. For example, maybe your mom and dad still need some cash to live on. You know, they may not want to give it away just yet in case they might need some of it for their own needs in the later years. So, where could that money go for them? Well, if they open up a life insurance policy, they can move those dollars into a life insurance contract while they're still alive. Many of our clients will do this with required minimum distributions that the government forces clients to take out of their 401ks and IRAs once they reach 72. So they move that money, whether it's through RMDs or just regular distributions from their IRAs and 401ks out of tax deferred buckets and into a policy that's under current tax law still income tax-free. Now your parents can still be the owners of their policy to keep it just in case they might need it. And it would also cover them should they have any chronic care or long-term care issue that they might need. If they need you know, ongoing assistance living in their own home or nursing home. But again, if they don't need the money, all of that money would be left to you income tax-free 
rather than in a taxable 401k or IRA scenario. And what would you do with that money once you receive it from mom and dad after they've passed away? You now know how to plan for this eventuality in a much more efficient way. Go ahead and open up your whole life policy now and leave it open and funded and ready for your inheritance to come to you someday. We have many clients who know that mom and dad intend to leave them a a sizable gift. And of course, of course, they love their parents and they want mom and dad to stick around as long as possible. So what do we do? We build enough wiggle room in the policy now, today, this year, uh, to accept a large chunk of cash in the future. Sometimes six or even seven figures can be dumped into a policy in future years if we design it correctly. Again, why not wait until mom and dad pass away? Well, you don't know if you're going to be insurable yourself 10 years from now or 20 years from now when mom and dad might pass. And second, it's not easy to pack that large chunk of money into a whole life policy all at once. But if we start the runway now and then wait a couple of years, hopefully many, many years until mom and dad should pass, you've got a accumulated wiggle room in your policy to dump in large lump sums once mom and dad finally decide to graduate on us. Now, none of us know when mom and dad might pass, but we want to leave the door open so that we have space for that inheritance money to be received. I can't think of another place where you could dump in seven figures of cash into a financial vehicle where it stays tax deferred while it's in the policy and you have access to it anytime you want, totally income tax-free. The IRS tax law says you can access the cash value through a policy loan with no taxes due. And once again, since you've now created life insurance on yourself, that money can then be passed on to your children. Remember, this is your parents' inheritance money. So think of what's happened there. They gave you some money as an inheritance for you. And if you don't spend it, it's going to be gift money for your children, their grandchildren. This is all income tax-free. So you're creating a situation where we're moving money now to the third generation without the IRS touching the cash. That's incredible. Now, income tax-free is the key phrase here. Death benefits can be received income tax-free. But what about the estate tax? Now, I brought that up at the beginning of the episode, and it's true that life insurance death benefits are exposed to the estate tax system. One of those layers of of the nacho dip is kind of still grease in the backside of that death benefit. So currently, the estate tax exemption for a couple is $24 million as of 2022. So that's between you and your spouse. If you left that to your children, anything above $24 million would be exposed to the estate tax, and that would still include the life insurance death benefit. So your real estate, your remaining money and investments, and your life insurance death benefit would be exposed to the estate tax. So anything above $24 million would be exposed to the estate tax. Currently, that's 40% of your estate, anything above 24 million. Now you're thinking to yourself, Mark, there's no way I'm leaving my my kids or anybody on this side of the grass, $24 million. I won't hit that exclusion amount. And you, you might be right. I don't know your financial situation. I've got clients that certainly will hit that threshold. I've got clients that very likely never will hit $24 million of estate tax. Their death benefits might be their largest gift. Sometimes um, that can be, you know, a couple hundred grand. Sometimes that can be very large, 10, 20 million. Just because the estate tax exemption is 24 million bucks for a couple today doesn't mean it always will be. Case in point, in 1997, the federal estate tax exemption was $600,000. 
$600,000. So if you owned more than $600,000 in 1997, you would have an estate tax due. And the top estate tax rate in 1997 was 55%, 55%. Now, many death benefits we established today for our clients are well north of $600,000. And oh, by the way, the uh, inflation on that in today's dollars would be just about a million bucks. So if we had an inflation adjusted estate tax exemption like we did in the 90s, if you had an, a total net worth of a million bucks when you pass away, there'd be an estate tax problem there. So if you owned your house, had a couple life insurance policies, you'd be easily in that million dollar ballpark in today's dollars, okay? So is it possible that with all the ways the government looks for ways to find cash that they might lower the currently very large estate tax exemption from 24 million down to 1 million? You bet. I hope that doesn't happen, but it's possible. In this case, the federal estate tax is generally due within nine months of your passing. And that's a big problem because many times it's a fire sale. When someone passes away, you might've seen these yard signs around town. It says estate sale, You know, meet me on the court steps or meet us in the front yard of mom and dad's old place. They're going to be selling everything to try to come up with, well, in part to free up you know, the, the storage unit, but also to, to get ready to pay that estate tax because that tax is due within nine months of your passing. And sources of funds for the estate tax payment are typically limited to just four, four options. You got life insurance, bucket of savings, sale of properties and assets, and then debt. So, you know, think of this in terms of real world example here. If you've got 10 real estate properties and the government wants 40% of your estate, that means you'd have to sell four of your 10 real estate properties and your family, again, you've passed away here, but your family would only be left with the six properties. So that means they would not have the appreciation on that real estate. They would not be able to enjoy the increased appreciation. They would not get to enjoy the cash flow from those four properties that you had to sell or your estate, I should say, had to sell. And so this is a very expensive way and it devastates many estates. So out of those four options, you can bet my answer is going to be life insurance. Life insurance if you can qualify, is, is broadly agreed upon that it's the least expensive source and the most efficient source of funds for the payment of any estate taxes due. Now, there are a few other strategies to avoid that estate tax. If you have a life insurance death benefit north of the estate tax exclusion amount, uh, you can do a few things. You can transfer ownership of that life insurance policy while you're still alive to your children. You can move it also to an irrevocable trust that enables you to make funds available for payment of estate taxes without unnecessarily increasing the value of your estate. So moving it into an islet or an irrevocable life insurance trust gets it out of your estate, but it's still there to provide benefits to your children. And that's a great way to do it. Uh, you can also make annual payments uh, to your uh, children and fund their life insurance with that money while you're still alive. So again, this would be a really wonderful way to give wealth to your family. Again, that example I mentioned earlier, the couple with three children was able to give a total of $96,000 a year, gift tax-free, estate tax-free, income tax-free to their three children. And do that over a couple of years and you've got yourself a wonderful gift you've left to your family. So again, what can you do to avoid this seven-layer dip? Remember, if we're spending cash value money out of the life insurance policy, it's going to reduce 
the cash value and it's going to reduce the death benefit. When you have a big estate tax problem because you have a big overly funded life insurance policy, like we talk about on this podcast, you might run into an estate tax problem. So how do we avoid that? Well, for most of our clients, the aim and the purpose of the life insurance is to spend that cash value over the course of your retirement years. And the more you spend that money on groceries and grandkids and Disney World trips and cruises and whatever, you're going to be reducing the cash value and the death benefit. You're letting the air out of the balloon as you spend that money into your golden years out of the life insurance policy. Hence, there's not going to be much of an estate tax issue when you pass away. If you live to your life expectancy, death benefit's going to be pretty modest at that point. So there may be no estate tax problem there. If you're concerned, however, that you might not make it to your life expectancy, or you just want to cover your butt in case you do pass away too soon, well, wonderful ideas. I mentioned the Irrevocable Life Insurance Trust earlier, or get some term insurance that covers you for a certain period of time if that really does concern you. That allows you to pay for that estate tax should you pass away too soon. So it's a complex, nuanced, and fairly sophisticated strategy. Uh, that we don't have time to get into on this podcast today. But suffice it to say, there are strategies to avoid and even eliminate uh, being gobbled up by the IRS in in their wonderful seven-layer dip. And the more they get hungry, the more they're going to look for ways to close the loopholes and the ways out of that seven-layer dip. So find your way through it now before those doors are shut. And I look forward to working with you. If you'd like to reach out and learn more about some of these strategies, to see how they fit in your circumstance, this is what we're here for. It's what we love doing all day long. You can reach out to us by going to notyouraverage.mn.co and join our free membership site where you can communicate about this and other strategies, hear other people already doing this. You know, we've got hundreds of people on this site and all of them are wonderful friends or clients or or colleagues of ours uh, that are doing some of these strategies. I just went over today. If you'd like to speak directly with me, Go to notyouraveragefinancialpodcast.com, click on request a meeting, and I'd be happy to chat for 15 minutes. Maybe there's some strategies here that piqued your interest that make us want to go deeper. So in all this, I hope you have a great rest of your day. And thank you for joining me for this week's episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think and live differently with your money, your economy, your taxes, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.